0: Well good morning church. Good morning. All right, Allstate used to have an ad. You remember this Allstate ad? They would say something like this. It always concluded, you know it, you're in. Okay, audience participation is mandatory today, friends, all right? You're in good, good hands with Allstate. And you want it to be in good hands. You don't want to be in incompetent hands or bad hands, so you better buy Allstate, right? That's the message, right? So sometimes people say Put your future in good hands, your own. What do you think of that? Huh? I'm not sure about that. Capital One has an ad out for years, and it says, what's in your wallet? And you're supposed to say money, not a Capital One card. Money, 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 yes, yes. Audrey Hepburn, speaking of hands, actually said, as you grow older, you'll discover that you have two hands. One is for helping yourself, and one is for helping others, Amen. I love that. I love that. Yes, yes. How about a groaner? You need a groaner? Give me a good groan. Come on. Give me a groan. All right, here we go. What tree can you fit in your hand? A palm tree. (laughs) That was a good corpus one, I thought, actually. Anyhow. All right, so in the Bible, God asks a completely different question. God says, what's in your hand or your hands? Turn to your neighbor and say, what's in your hands? Go ahead and say that right now. All right. We're gonna to participate today. You gotta to participate. Okay, everyone hold up your hands. Gonna hold up your hands like we're surrendering, like like someone says, give me all your money. Okay, here you go. All right, there you go. Now, now now keep them up. Keep them up. Now show them to your neighbors. Go ahead and show them to your neighbors. Now tell your neighbors you got some great looking hands. Go ahead and say that. Yeah, yeah. Now we're not taking it any further. All right, all right, yeah. Great looking hands. So we're in this series where we're talking about, hey, you know, simple things like Wear your seatbelt, put a helmet on, don't drink, don't smoke, you know, those kind of things. Do it like your life depends upon it, right? Evacuate when a hurricane's coming, smart things like that. So this is the series we're in, trying to do something like your life depends upon it. And today I want to talk about what is in your hands, because what is in your hands, actually, it really does matter. And we're going to go to Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through fifty. And this is a passage I've never preached on before, so I'm excited to preach on it. Are you excited? Yes. All right. Now, this is one of the most powerful movements in the book of Acts. It really is a very, very powerful moment in the book of Acts. So pay attention here. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity, Okay. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him in the upper room. All the widows stood beside him. Now picture this. All the widows stood beside him weeping. And showing tunics and garments. Somebody say tunics and garments. But I need you to be a little louder today, all right? Tunics and garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and she saw Peter and sat up. Hmm. I'm just curious while I'm reading the scripture why y'all are so quiet right now. Like, oh, y'all are playing it so cool, like you've seen a ton of people get up from the dead. That's great. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, okay. And he gave uh, her his hand and raised her up. Then calling all the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa. I bet it did. I bet it became known pretty quickly when someone, you know, when the body starts moving at the funeral, the funeral's over. And many believed in the Lord. And that's probably even a greater miracle than the resurrection. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. In Acts 9, we have a woman who's living her life, serving God, making garments. And everything everything in her life is cut short by illness. Her name is Tabitha. Now, in the Hebrew, it's translated to Dorcas. It means the same thing, they both have the same meaning, and the meaning of her name is gazelle. How many of you ever called your spouse, dear? That's what her name is. And believe it or not, it was a compliment. Just like I call my wife Renee, baby doll, right? That's a compliment, right? And that's what gazelle meant in that day. It meant you were quick on your feet. It meant you were swift. It meant you were beautiful. It meant a great thing. And in Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, it actually says a blessed wife is one that is called a gazelle, a deer. So it was a compliment. And so in this book, we have Tabitha, Dorcas, who's who is a dear, beautiful, swift, quick, and she's actually living out her name. She's actually living out her name. And the text says, she was full of good works and charitable acts and deeds, which she did. Which she did. And this is the sick, sick one? This is the one that's going to get sick and die, God? Have you ever asked God that question? Right, like, God, of all the people, why are you taking this one? Hello? Just me had this thought. Thank you. The one who's blessing everyone and doing good and going about, doing all these good things, full of good works. She's full of good works and charitable acts, which she did. And this is true of everyone in this room and everyone online. Every Christian, every person is full of good works. I don't think you heard me. You're full of good works. God has planned it to be so. Look at your neighbor right now and say to them, you're looking good today. Go ahead and say that. Go ahead. You're looking good today. Now tell them. Don't tell them how good. Just say that, you know. Now tell them, I I can tell you're full of good works. Go ahead and say that. Every Christian, everybody watching online, everybody is full of good works. God has planned it to be so. Ephesians 2.10, the Bible says, you, you are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk with him and in them. The Greek here for workmanship is pomonia, and it means like a piece of art or a poem or a beautiful painting. Okay, think about that for a moment. You are God's artwork. You're God's poem. You're God's, you know, Sistine Chapel. Okay, your creator spent more time crafting you than Robert Frost put in his poems. You are uniquely crafted. God is not a mass appliance maker. God makes each individual the way they are. When the father looks at you, he sees all the beauty. And the Bible says he has crammed you Full of good works. So picture God like in the factory, right? And He's like, okay, we gotta make joy. Okay, what are we gonna do? We gotta get some some let's get this spice, let's get this thing, let's do this, let's pour it all in there, and we're gonna pour it all in there. And she's gonna use these things in the future. That's the way God thinks about you. That God knew you before you're even born. Read Psalm 139. It says, God made you in your mother's secret place. It's just an amazing passage. And just picture this. God is looking on the shelf. How many talents and gifts do we give this one? What do we pour in this one? Are you good in math? I certainly got in the short line on that one, okay? Right, but what are you good at? And God crams you full of all these good works. Now, let me ask you a question. If every Christian, right, is crammed full of good works and God has poured all these blessings and all these things in them, how come every Christian is not living a beautiful life and changing the world like Tabitha lived? How, how come they're not just giving away all the good works that God has crammed into them? Because here's why. Because many of us just stop there. We just get full, 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 full of good works. But Tabitha, Dorcas, was not just full of good works, full of good deeds. But the text actually says she was full of these things which she did. She lived him out. If you don't do the things that God has planned for you to do, you end up full of it. I'm going to say it again. If we don't do the things God's planned for us, we end up full of it, full of good works, which go undone. We end up full of it. A lot of Christians are just full of it. Go ahead and elbow your neighbor and say, are you full of it? Go ahead and ask them. Don't be full of it. The problem is, and let me say it this way, the problem is, shall we say, spiritual constipation. You take in, you take in, you take in, and you never give out you're a bunch of bloated Christians, bloated on good works. You ever eaten too much at a meal? Yeah, that's what we are. We're bloated, full of good works. And God gives us miracles and blessings, but it's not just for us. It's for others, right? We always pray, God, give me the miracle. And God's like, here's the miracle, but it's for someone else. The blessing comes to you to be a blessing to someone else. So don't be full of God's Good works that go undone. We can't stop at good intentions because willing, being willing is not enough. Love does. Love is a verb. Love does. Love does. Right? If you get on a plane and you sit in a certain seat, they'll say something like this to you. Are you willing and are you able to open up that door and, you know, and get the shoot and everyone that gets out evacuated? Can you turn the latch on that door and open it up? Are you physically able? Are you willing to do that? I've never in my life seen anybody go, you know, I am able to do it, but I ain't doing it. This plane crashes, that's it. Someone's got to extend that slide out. Someone's got to open that plane door. You're prepared for good works, but God wants you to do them. You've got to do the things God has planned you to do. How long are you going to talk about that business? How long are you going to talk about that idea? How long are you going to talk about writing that book? How long are you going to talk about getting involved? Oh, i got to get involved. i got to do something more. i got to do some service. Oh, someday, 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 yeah, I'll really get involved. Someday is a dangerous spiritual word. Someday. Because someday means never. Now, how do you do what God has planned you to do? Speaking for a friend, I mean, if you, you know, how do you do, right? How do you do it? How do you do what you are full of? Well, the answer, actually, is what we've been talking about. is right here in your hands. The answer to doing what is in your heart is usually right in your hands. In the text today, did you notice it? You may have not noticed it. Tabitha changed the world by using what was in her hands. The text says she made what? Tunics and garments. She was a seamstress. She was a sister who had a passion for fashion. Right? She was. And when she had all these dreams of changing the world, She had all these dreams in her heart of making a difference in this world. She looked down and she looked at her hand. And what did she see? A needle. And she said, A needle pulling thread, and I can change the world. And she asked the question, I wonder if I could use this needle to change the world. And in her community, it was full of widows who didn't have clothing widows who couldn't go down to Kohl's or Macy's or Dillard's or Steinmark before they went out of business to buy some clothes? When's the last time you looked at your hands and said, I wonder if what God has placed in here could use to make a difference out there? We often, we look at what are in our hands, and we see no connection with what is in our hearts and then we make the mistake. So God comes to Moses one day, you know the story. Imagine this, how many of you have uh, career goals? Anyone here have any career goals? <laughs> Apparently we all need to see the career counselor, all right, very good. All right, so you got career goals. How many of you, you know, you're talking to the high school counselor, or you're talking to your counselor in college, you know, to plan your curriculum, you know. How many of you said, you know what I'd really like to do is be working for my father-in-law, out in the middle of nowhere, be a fugitive on the run, a murderer that's hiding from the authorities. That's the career I want to end up in. Because that's where Moses was. And he's tending his father-in-law's sheep. Not even his sheep. He's working for Pops. Tending the father-in-law's sheep. And he sees a bush on fire and he turns to look at it. He stops and says, hey, this bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And the bush starts talking, this is a strange story. And God speaks through the burning bush and God says, Moses, I want you to go take on the world's most powerful army in the Egyptians and take on the world's most powerful man, Pharaoh. And Moses is like, are you crazy? Are you nuts? First of all, I'm talking to a bush, this is really awkward. And second of all, there's no way I'm going to do that because I'm a murderer, I'm a fugitive, I'm on the run, I'm working for my father-in-law. There's no way. And I'm not even a good speaker. I this just stutter. And the text says God got angry with Moses. God burned with anger at Moses because he kept coming up with excuses. And so finally, God says to Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses is like, it's a shepherd's stick." And God says, Give it to me. And Moses says, okay, what do you want? He says, throw it down on the ground. And he throws it down on the ground. And you know what happens, church? What happens to it when he throws it on the ground? It becomes a snake. snake. And then God says, pick it up. And Moses says, are you crazy? That's what I would have said. How many of you, your first instinct, a snake, let me go get it. No. And God says to Moses, hey, What's in your heart? Well, freedom for my people. Freedom from the, we're enslaved 400 years. Well, what's in your hand? A staff. Throw it down, give it to me. And you give what God has placed in your hand, and God will unlock what He's placed in your heart, what He's prepared for you to do in advance. God says to Nehemiah, Hey, what's in your heart? Nehemiah says, rebuild the Temple of Jerusalem. God says, what's in your hand? Nehemiah says, a cup. I'm not a builder. God says, go ahead, use your cup. And when the Lord asked Moses this question, what's in your hand? It's just a, a shepherd's rod. It's just a crude wooden stick, just a piece of wood, an inanimate object, a tool of the trade. All Moses had in his hand was a staff he'd used for 40 years. And when God asked Moses to do this, let's be serious here. Moses was on the back nine of his life. He's an old man. We always have in our head an image of a 20-year-old Moses. No, no, no. Hello? It's like Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was 90 when he went in the lion's den. 90. Like he's over at the Vieira and he's in the the lion's den, okay? Okay. So, friends, I, here's what I believe. Like Moses, we're called to do great things with divine assistance, absolutely. Things that are much bigger than our own dreams. Yet, The problem is we often think, well, I don't have any kind of special ingredient or any kind of resource that's needed for success. And so what do we say? You know, if only I had this in my hand. But you notice that God wasn't asking Moses to give him something he didn't have. God was just saying to Moses, give me what you do have. Moses has been carrying around that ordinary piece of wood for many years. Nothing dramatic had happened. And it's interesting because in the Scripture, it says it went from being the, the, the rod of Moses to the rod of God, okay? No longer just a piece of wood, but this, this, this piece of wood that become the, the rod of God actually does what? What does it do? It parts the Red Sea. He hits a rock and water comes out. He, he conquers armies, So what is in your hand, friends? Money, time, possessions, influence, some kind of God-given special aptitude? If you're honest, the things in your hands probably seem like, well, uh, it's kind of inadequate to meet the needs of the world around us. But you'll be amazed at what happens if you say, okay, God, here you go. You can use what's in my hands to make a difference in your world. And we don't often think about, like, Moses' personal dreams, right? What did Moses dream about, right? And we often have great dreams for ourselves, but I believe when we surrender our dreams to God's dreams, those dreams become much bigger and much greater than we could ever even imagine. And I wonder if Moses ever dreamed one day that he would change the world. I wonder if in his wildest dream he ever thought, this shepherd's stick is going to part the Red Sea, okay? Okay. I wonder if if this one day I'm going to strike a rock and water's going to come out. Or that he would feed thousands of people in the desert. Even when he's being raised as the prince of Egypt, as a a young man, I bet he never thought it would come to this, where he would defeat the Pharaoh and the mighty army. Because God's dreams are always greater than your dreams. So one of the things you ought to do is actually pray this prayer. God, what is your dream for my life? What is it? And it doesn't matter if you're 80 or it doesn't matter if you're eight. You can still have a dream for God's for your life. So, yes, his dreams are greater than anything we can dream up. Now, three quick truths about the Moses text I want to talk about. Three quick truths. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. All right. God won't use anything until we let go of it, right? God's not going to pry it out of your hands. He'll not force us or coerce us. But when we willingly offer what's in our hands to God, God can use that. Also, second point God didn't ask Moses to use something he didn't already have, right? God always uses what we have. He's crammed us full of good works. So God never demands from us what we do not have. And the third thing is we never will know the full potential of what we have until we allow God to have full control of it. Like your life, here you go God, my life is yours. When people do that, then they really see God work. I've held many things in my hand, I've lost a lot of them. But whatever things i placed in God's hands, I've kept. So one of the things I'm trying to say is, look, busy hands achieve more than idle tongues. Remember, Samson slayed hundreds of of Philistines with, what, the jawbone of a donkey? David defeated the Goliath with what, church? A slingshot and faith. When Jesus was trying to feed 5,000-plus people, there was a little boy that came forward with just a couple of fish and some loaves of bread and it fed thousands. So go ahead and give God what you've been holding on to. Use your needle, use your stick, use your cup, use what is in your hand, use your resources. It may not feel like it's enough, but when you give it to God, it's more than enough. And Dorcas had a pattern, a pattern in her life, not a pattern you find over at Joanna's or Hobby Lobby. It was a pattern of giving herself away for a longer vision of how she might make a difference. A lot of times we look at our hands and we go, well, I can't make a difference. I don't have much. And we talk ourselves out of using our resources for God's good. And people say a lot of stupid stuff to me in church. This is one of the stupidest things people say in church. And, I, you know, I just really hate it when people say this to me. Well, pastor, I give my time so I don't give any of my money. I'm available. I'm available. I give my time. You know what I say to that? That is available. (laughs) Available. (laughs) I would finish it, but I'm on camera. I mean, think about this. Imagine if Jesus said, you know, I really I, I don't know about that dying on the cross thing, but I can give you some time. I'll give you some time. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't just say, I'll give you an hour? I, 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 can, I can meet for lunch. I'll give you some time. But what did Jesus give? Everything. His body, his blood, his dreams. You don't think Jesus had dreams, human dreams, of maybe getting married, maybe having a family one day, maybe having kids, maybe seeing the sun shine on his kid's face, maybe being a grandpa one day? You don't think Jesus, as a human being, might have had those dreams? Yes, he would have. And he gave all that up for the father's dream. Come on, use your needle, pull some thread. Margaret Thatcher was once the prime minister of England, one of my favorite leaders. I love Margaret Thatcher. She was a great leader. She said one time of the Good Samaritan, no one would be talking about the Good Samaritan if he just gave his time. Right, because he, he had to like, someone had to pay for the room, someone had to pay for the bandages, someone had to pay for the oil, someone had to pay for the wine, someone had to pay for all the expenses while he's in the room. So if we're going to, as a church, bless Corpus Christi, if we're going to do something for the Afghan refugees, which I am working on, and we are working on with some organizations on the best way to do that right now, they're on military bases, but we're going to do that. If we're going to do those things, if we're going to work and beyond our congregation, listen, we're already putting people up that need rooms, and and we've done that three times you don't even know about. We're working. But it's going to take resources. Often the most overlooked resources turn out to be the most valuable when touched by God. And so many times we're like Moses, I don't have enough talent, I don't have enough gifts, my... My gifts, my resources are too small. What can one person do? Besides, this is one I hear in the church, other people can do more. Sound familiar? We sometimes ease our guilt by thinking, you know what, if I had what they had, I would do more with what they have. Have you ever thought that? No one's raising their hand right now. That's not the point. The point is not what... what you would do if you had this or that. The point is, are you going to be faithful with what you have been given? And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your time, your talents, your good works that God has crammed you full of. There's a poem I saw. It's not what you do with a million if riches should be your lot. But what are you going to do today with the dollar and quarter you've got? God looks at every one of us just like he looked at Moses and says, what's in your hands? Look at what is in your hands and how it's connected to your heart, like your life depends upon it, because it does. You might say, well, preacher, you know, other people have more, so if I have more, I would give more. You know, if I had more, pastor, like other people, I would give more. Available. You'd be exactly as generous with a million dollars. Research shows this. In fact, research shows the more affluent you get, the less generous you tend to get. So you'd be exactly as generous with a million dollars as you are with a $10,000. You'd be exactly as generous with a thousand dollars as you are with a hundred. Because guess what? It's not about the money. It's it's not about your time and talents. It's about your heart. It's a heart issue. And I'll show this to you. (laughs) I had a guy in my office this week, doesn't go to church here, wanted some Marriage counseling, he, he comes to me, I don't have any money to spend on my wife, we don't go on dates, we don't do this, because I said to him, I said, are you dating your wife? Are you, are you chasing your wife? Well, I'm already married to her, well, you better date your wife, because if you don't, somebody else may. If you don't chase the one you're with, somebody else may chase her. You better be chased, gentlemen, I'm giving you free advice here, chase her. Even if you got her, date her, even if she's yours, it's a good thing. I've never once had Renee say to me, boy, I just don't know why you're doing such a nice date for me tonight. This is such a nice meal. I don't understand this. I'm already yours. I'm already married. But what do we do? We get married. That's it. I'm done. Put on the stretchy pants. We're done. (laughs) So this guy's telling me I don't have any money to take my wife on a date. I'm like, brother, you got to get creative. You can take your wife to Costco and make her feel like a queen. Give her a free sample, sir. <laughs> go ahead. Anything, any samples you want, honey. I'll 13, 18, 20. Go, it's yours. You can jump up to maybe a combo coke and hot dog for 222. A lot of men out there, they could give their wives filet mignon and they're giving her dog food. Come on, guys, you got to date her, you got to chase her, you got to do these things. (laughs) It's a hard issue. When I dated Renee, and I dated Renee, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons. One, Renee had money. Her parents would call her up every night on Sunday nights. I saw your checkbook drop below five grand. We added a $1,000. I'm on the phone with my dad. This is how it goes. Dad, can I have 25 bucks? What the hell for? <laughs> I'd like to eat this week. I'm in school. I'm writing hot checks to the pizza guy. And they would send out alerts to Southwest Texas. The Hayes County Sheriff's gonna round you up with a warrant arrest. I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta pay the pizza guy. True story. I didn't have any money to date Renee. I wanted to date Renee. I didn't have a car. I didn't have any, I'll pick you up in my shoes. (laughs) She was so in love with me. Because guess what we did? We'd go, this is what I would do. I would go to the cafeteria and I would stockpile like food, like they had some food like in wrappers, you know, Twinkies, Ho-Ho, stuff like that, bananas. I'd get it all and I'd put it in a picnic basket. I'd say, hey, let's go for a picnic. We're going to go down by the river. And I'd buy a kite for $2 at at Walmart. And we would fly a kite and have a picnic with bananas and Twinkies. Come on, it was romance. She was in love. Because what was I giving her? Me, my heart, I wasn't just about the stuff. And when it comes to God, what does God want? Not the stuff He wants, you, your heart. Hello, it's a heart issue. Yeah. I don't know if I should date her. Date her! I've been married 30 years. Even more reason to date her. She's tired of you. <laughs> date her. Get creative. Some of the best dates I ever did with Renee were poor dates. Completely poor. Because you get creative. You want to go for a swim in the river? That's a date. We get, I would I would steal a tube. Someone wasn't looking at their tube. Boom. I got you a tube, honey, right here. So hurry up, get down there, get into the current. You look at Tabitha. She gave what she could, which is a lot, tunics and garments. And that's misleading because tunics and garments actually means coats and capes and dresses. You ever been invited to a black tie affair? Anyone here? Yeah, Renee and I were invited to that. We were like, I mean, like, I'm on Google. Like, what is a black tie affair? Do I wear a black tie? What does that even mean? And Renee's like, well, you got to get me a dress. And so I learned a whole other world of things I didn't want to learn about dresses. Like there's, there's cocktail dresses, there's full gown dresses. We, you know, And I was like looking at the cost of these dresses. Come on, are you kidding me? Diamonds inlaid in some of the dresses. I'm like, oh, honey, we're going back to the river, okay? We're going back to the poor date. So we went to a store called Rent the Runway. You ever heard of this? Rent the Runway. And you can rent a dress. I love that. Rent the dress. There's a lot to these dresses. And Dorcas, or Tabitha, was all over it. She was making this stuff. Now think about this, because you're a a widow, you're in a community, you don't have a source of income, you don't have money, and here comes Dorcas, and what does Dorcas say? What's your size? She had a needle in her hand and a measuring tape around her neck, and she's like, let me make you a couple dresses. So the widows in the Christian community were walking down the street like they had been to rent the runway and they had dignity and they had pride and they were proud of who they were because they had clothing that showed some status that they weren't poor. You remember going to school, back to school days and you got your hand-me-downs and everybody else is in their new clothes from Dillard's and you're over there sporting the pair of shorts that your brother wore out? Come on. And you didn't have any dignity. But, boy, I remember the day that my mom bought me new outfits. I was at school going, hey. I'm here. Do you like my shoes? Because Dorcas had to do what? She had to spend money and, and get the resources and get the materials and get the get the needles and get the thread and get all that stuff together to make the rest and size everybody up and took time and energy and she's doing this. God's calling you to do with what's in your hands. I actually think it's really insulting to God to assume that anyone in this room, anyone online has nothing to contribute. That uh, there's not. I'm sorry, God, you just, you made a dud when you made me. I cannot believe that God would make anyone without the capacity to change the world. And this is the importance of raising kids right. Why did Hitler turn out the way Hitler did? He was abused, beaten severely almost every night from his father who was a drunk. It showed up, didn't it? It sure showed up. So. I believe deeply that God creates every one of us with abilities to change the world. But we get crammed full of stuff, and we get spiritually constipated, and we don't use what God has given us. I'll give you an example. This last week I was walking my beautiful dog, Lexi. I would love Lexi, my miniature schnauzer. I'm just walking her, and she's just smelling the grass, and everything's great. And all of a sudden I see a bird. I see a sparrow, and he's laying on the sidewalk, and he's laying like this with his feet up in the air. I don't know if you know this, but I speak sparrow fluently. So I said to the little guy, I said, hey, little guy, are you okay? I'm doing fine. Why are you laying like that? It's unusual for a bird to lay on its back with its feet up in the air. And the sparrow began to chirp at me. And he told me, he said, I heard the sky is going to fall today. It's the end of the world. I said, well, what are you doing? I'm going to hold up the world with my legs. I said, you think you with your little spondy legs are going to hold up the world? And the sparrow said to me, one does what one can. All we are responsible for in life is to do what we can with what God has placed in our hands. We're not responsible for the gifts entrusted to others. We're not responsible even for the outcome. That's God's business. All we're responsible for is doing the best we can to make the connection between our hands and our hearts and say, This is what God has given me. There's a text that actually troubles me in the Bible. It's a very troubling text, and I've gone back to it and I've read it over and over again. It says this in the time of year that kings go to war, in the time A year in which kings go to war, David stayed home. See, there's a certain time of the year in the spring when the kings of Israel would always go to war. And that meant living out in the field. That meant living in a tent. That meant not getting fat. That meant not being complacent. That meant being scrappy. That meant fighting, going to war for what God wants. But there was a time of the year in which kings go to war And King David stayed home. And we know what happens next. You know what the next line is? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. He already had 10 wives. He needs 11? No. See, kings, (laughs) when kings don't go to war, they... They get complacent, they get fat, they get constipated. Kings become fools when they stop going to war. That's what the text is saying. And we as Christians must stretch ourselves and not get complacent and not get constipated and not get fat with good works and think that God has placed this thing in my hand just for me. We've got to go to war to use what God has given us. Let's not go into cruise control mode Let's go to war with the enemy. Let's go to war with young people who are lost on drugs and alcohol. Let's go to war with a culture that is cutting itself just so they can feel something. Dorcas gave what she could. What was in her hands, a needle pulling thread. And she gave while she could. And this is important. To give what you can and do what you can for God's kingdom. All that you can, yes, but while you can. Did Tabitha know when she went to work that last week in her workshop that she was going to get sick soon? That the workshop would be closing up? Did Tabitha have any idea that she was in the final stretch of her life? Do any of us? You know, death is a lot of things to a lot of people, but mostly It's this, surprise, like I didn't get the email that next Tuesday I'm out. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Next Tuesday, that's it. About 1201, you check out. So why do I share this? Because we got to always live with the awareness of our own mortality, that I am approaching death at lightning speed. That's you and me. I got more years behind me than in front of me. Statistically, that's true. People say, well, you're middle-aged. No, I'm not middle-aged with 35. I'm post-middle-age, I'm 51. Oh, well, you're close. <laughs> Comforting words from Pastor John. But when you live with a constant awareness of your mortality, then you really value time. You're like, oh my gosh, this is precious. What I have in front of me, a day to make a difference, a moment, an hour. What if Tabitha had said this? Imagine if Tabitha had said this. Oh, you know, I'd really like to get involved, God. I'd really like to get involved in serving and helping. But, you know, there's this guy named Ralph Loren who wants to come down and check out some of my addresses. And then there's this other friend, Calvin Klein. He, he's got some interest in some of the things I've been doing. So as soon as I secure up those business deals, uh, then I'll get involved in doing what you want me to do, God. Then I'll get involved in changing the world. Then I'll do something, God. But she didn't live that way. She did what she could while she could. So everyone put your hand on your heart. Go ahead. If you're at home, put your hand on your heart. I hope you feel it beating, first of all. If you have a pulse, say amen. (laughs) Right? But right now when you feel that, if you really listen, And you really listen, as it beats, there's purpose. There's purpose in the beat of your heart. Your, your, Your heart's beating right now for a reason. And it's not just for you, it's for this world. God has given you breath in your lungs and time and space to make a difference. And so, Tabitha began making dresses for needy people in her community, spending her own money and resources to bless others. And here's what she realized. She realized, hey, God is going to clothe these widows uh, whether I'm on the train or not. God is going to work right? Like Mordecai said to Esther, right? God is going to do this thing, honey. God's going to save his people with or without you. So you get out there and you do what you were made to do. For such a time you were raised as this. So go ahead and save your people, Esther. Come on. God will raise up other Christians to do the work that you won't do. God will raise up another church if grace won't do the work that grace is called to do. God is going to work in history whether we join him or not. God's purposes will not be thwarted. So there's no question God's going to do his work, but why not you? Why not through your hands? Why not through your gifts? Why not through your talents? And why not now? Because you don't know when Mr. Surprise is going to show up. We've been brought into a time such as this. Give what you can while you can, give your talents. Give your gifts. Give your resources. Give your time. Give your life. What's in your hand? Come on. Everyone, can you tell me what this is, church? A red bandana. No tricks. A red bandana. It's all I have in my hands. What can this do? Imagine if you said, I wonder if, with this, in a few days, next week, we're going to mark the 20th anniversary of 9-11, a tragic, terrible day that everyone in this room has flashbulb memories of, right? I can ask you, what were you doing on the morning of 9-11? I can remember, Renee was sick, she was home from school, and we were watching the TV in horror and shock. Well, I still remember it. We lived in corpus at the time. Terrible day in history. But yet it's also a day in which if you look closely, you can see God working. So I want to tell you about God working through a man named Wells Crother. Wells Crother on 9-11 was 20, <coughs> just 20 years ago, was a 24-year-old. He was a uh, equities trader in New York. He was a rookie trader. He was young, brand new, but he was working. When he was eight years old, as you can see from this next photo, Wells Crother uh, was given two handkerchiefs uh, by his dad, a white pocket utilitarian one that you put in your back pocket and a red bandana Willie Nelson one. His father said to him when he gave him the handkerchiefs, one's to show and one to blow. (laughs) As you can see from the picture, he liked wearing the red bandana. As a little boy, Wells Crother followed his father's lead as a member of the local empire hook, lamp, and ladder company, which was in upper nuvac. By age seven, he was helping clean fire trucks. By age 16, he was a junior member. And by age 18, he gained full status as a firefighter at 18 years old. After attending Boston College, Wells' brother went to work for Sandler O'Neill, an investment bank, and was working on the 104th floor of the South Tower on September 11, 2001, when United Airlines Flight 175 crashed into that tower. After leaving his mother, Allison, a voicemail, he called her and said, I'm okay. She never heard his voice again. Ms. Crother said she followed her mother's instincts after the attack's Searching for information, you remember this, people were searching for their loved ones, posting wanted posters, have you seen them? And so she was no different, wondering about her son and his final moments. She combed through the news coverage, even even after her son's remains were recovered from ground zero, six months after the attack, she wanted to know what happened. Two months after that recovery, on Memorial Day of 2002, she read a lengthy New York Times article about the chaos inside the towers before they collapsed, which included eyewitnesses describing an unnamed rescuer, a cool headed office worker who appeared in the sky lobby of the South Tower 78th floor. Quote, eyewitnesses said a mysterious man appeared who managed to locate the only possible stairwell and began marshaling down groups of injured and dazed people. According to the article, they also gave a telling detail about the rescuer that floored Miss Crother. Quote, this man wore a red bandana over his face to keep out smoke and debris. Oh, my God, she said, I found you. She summoned her husband who nearly 20 years earlier had given her son those two handkerchiefs when he was getting dressed for church one Sunday morning. What was in his hands the hands of Wells' Carruthers, a white bandana and a red one. Wells, now here's what you need to know about the story that the mother and the father knew. He never put down that red bandana. He wore it with him everywhere. There was never a day where he was without his red bandana. His parents said he wore it under his hockey helmet, his fire helmet, and as a teen, he wore it under his lacrosse helmet while playing for Boston College. He carried it, actually, his co-workers made fun of him because he carried it in the pocket of his business suit as a rookie equities trader, and he would take it out and show it to them. And it was old and tattered, and they laughed at him. But according to survivors, he wore this bandana in the midst of those towers. And Ling Young tells about how she saw him with it on and he was carrying down an injured woman on his back to freedom. He led the first group to, from the 61st floor, then pulled that red bandana over his mouth and told them he was going back in to guide down others. He later joined other firefighters who had tools to, trap free, or to free trap victims. His body was eventually covered amongst those firefighters at the command center in the south tower lobby, just a few feet away from what would have been escape and freedom his body was recovered and with a red bandana. He's credited with saving the lives of over 18 people before perishing alongside a group of New York City firefighters. Now here's the eerie and ironic part of the story. One of Mr. Crowther's co-workers just a few weeks earlier had teased him about his red bandana because it was actually on his desk. And Wells said to him jokingly, or maybe not jokingly, this bandana is going to change the world. It was just a casual remark, the coworker said. But you know, in many ways, that red bandana has, has changed the world. The story of this red bandana has gone around the world and has touched a lot of people. There's actually a book out called The Red Bandana. His, his bandana is actually at the World Trade Center Museum. You can go and see it. And there's actually a documentary about this. It may have just looked like a torn and tattered red bandana, but in the eyes of the 18 people he saved that day, it meant the world to them. He definitely changed their world, and it was what he had in his hands. What's in your hands? Can you put it in God's hands and then see what can happen? Let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this time to come together and to consider what you've placed in our hands and to make that connection between our hands and our hearts. And Lord, we know there are things in our hearts that we long to see different in this world. We long to see change in this world. We long to see transformed in this world. And so God, when we feel that tug of our heart, let us look at our hands and to consider what you've put in them, what talents and gifts and graces and abilities have you crammed us full of good works. And Lord, I pray that we won't live as spiritually constipated Christians, but we will give and give and give and live our lives so that when we finally stand before God at the end of our lives and God says, so what is in your pocket? We can say nothing, I've spent it all. Nothing, all the talents, all the gifts, all the graces. And even if it's just a red bandana, He gave it away to save the lives of 18 people. Father, I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't just give us his time, but he gave us his very life. I'm grateful that on the night before he gave himself up for us, he took bread and he broke that bread and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And we remember that Christ's body was broken so that we might have wholeness to take and eat the body of Christ. And when the supper was over again, he returned thanks and poured out into that cup of forgiveness, his blood and said, drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so Father, we ask that you bless these elements the body and blood of Christ, that we might live in this world as the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood, that we might live in this world knowing that our time here is limited and we must do all we can while we can. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us as we say now together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand now and sing this closing song.